When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. First, on every single tier, you get completely ad-free episodes, and you get a say in what topics I cover on my podcasts. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate, or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee slash CraigU. All of these links are also in my show notes. And for people who donate, I have various levels of benefits. For $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. For $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by, with your name at the start. Also, I'll state it's sponsored by you on social media. For $20, everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you, and promotion of something you're working on. And for $50, everything from the $5, $10, and $20 plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to my username, Bairdo37. And you can find weekly videos on Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. If you want to find transcripts of every episode I've ever done, you can go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. And there's over 700 posts on Canada's history there. I would like to say welcome to four new patrons this week. Christy S., Elizabeth B., Tom L., and Robert D. Thank you for becoming patrons. I truly appreciate it. I also want to say thank you to Jonathan D., who left me a wonderful donation. And I will say that all donations and all Patreon support throughout the month of September will be going to the SBCA in honor of my best pal, Boris, who passed away a couple days ago. I just want to honor him with something, and I thought this would be a nice way to do it. So here we are. On episode two of my look at every election in Quebec's history. And we got another long episode, but I hope you guys enjoy it. And as usual, if I mispronounce anything, I truly do apologize. 1897. Three decades since Quebec had joined Confederation, it was going through another election. And this one would shift the political landscape of the country, and it wouldn't change until the country was only a few years away from the Second World War. The Liberals were still led by Félix Gabriel Marchand, who was hoping to lead the party to prominence after a poor showing in the previous election, one in which he nearly lost his own seat. The previous five years, Marchand had been rebuilding the Liberal Party and raising his profile throughout the province. Known as Père Marchand because of his seniority in the party, he would speak in public in terms of reason, although he was not known for his fiery speeches. He also had a major ally in his corner, Wilfrid Laurier, who had become the Prime Minister of Canada in 1896. 
Restoring credibility to his party was his main concern. From 1892 to 1897, Marchand, as the opposition leader, would propose budgetary constraints, the abolishment of the Legislative Council, civil service cutbacks, and a reduction in ministerial spending. On December 11, 1895, he gave a speech that told voters the province's finances were terrible and he would propose a party truce for the common good of Quebec. As he was heading into the 1897 election, his popularity was high, voters loved the Liberal Party of Canada, and he was ready to take his party to the promised land. The Conservatives were now led by Edmund James Flynn, who had taken over the leadership of the party in 1896. Louis-Olivier Talion had left the party to join federal politics as the postmaster general in the very short-lived government of Charles Tupper. He failed to win a seat in the federal election of 1896 and now found himself out of politics. As premier, Flynn was mostly concerned with public works and improving the quality of primary education in the province. His time as premier was not easy personally, though. Two of his daughters would die from tuberculosis, a disease that would eventually take two other daughters in 1898 and 1906. Heading into the next election, he was not in an easy situation. In the election campaign, Flynn would focus on the achievements of the previous year, of which he had accomplished quite a bit despite his limited time and power. He asked voters to judge his party on his program and the results, and to not let the popularity of Wilfrid Laurier to sway their vote. He would say in one speech, quote, I ask for the judgment of the province of Quebec. I will not boast, as Mr. Marchand did the other night, that I have a victory within my grasp, but I will tell you here tonight that I have the utmost confidence in the people of the province of Quebec. Our desire is to elevate the people of Quebec, educate our compatriots, and make them better, End quote. Marchand would focus his campaign on the government record of the Conservatives, telling voters that the Conservatives had managed the finances of the province poorly. He would be aided by the campaign organizers of Laurier, who were coming in hot after the election win. During one stop in Montreal, the Gazette stated of Marchand, quote, The leader then proceeded to blame the government for having so many so-called independent candidates in the field. He, in fact, had counted no less than 12 who were ashamed to show their true colors and who were trying to pass off as independents. Mr. Marchand also said the government supporters were afraid to discuss the true issues before the people. End quote. The day before the election, the Ottawa Journal predicted that it would be a close election with neither side claiming a majority of more than 10 to 12 seats. The editorial stated that the Liberals were confident because of the federal Liberal victory, while the Conservatives were confident because they carried a huge majority in the last election. The election would be the first to take place after the Quebec Election Act of 1895 which put into law that persons whose names were entered on the voters' list as tenant and who were not, at the time the voter list was last revised, actually residing at the premises for which their names appeared, were not allowed to vote. One interesting aspect of this election was that the Manitoba schools question actually had very little impact. While it was a major factor in the demise of the Federal Conservative Party and the rise of the Federal Liberal Party, and it did play a part in the Ontario election, it was a non-issue in Quebec. The issue was whether or not there would be separate schools for Catholics in Manitoba, which the provincial government had attempted to put down. This issue began in the early 1890s and grew in importance to become the main issue of the 1896 federal election. In the May 11, 1897 election, the Liberals scored a landslide victory by gaining 30 more seats than they had in 1892 to finish with 51 for a dominant majority in Parliament. They also gained an excellent 9% more of the popular vote. The 51 seats won by the party was the most the party had ever won to that point, eight more than their highest total of 43 in 1890. The Winnipeg Tribune wrote, quote, 
That the Liberal Party should be victorious in the Quebec elections was not wholly unexpected, but the overwhelming majority by which they have carried the day was not looked for by even the Liberals themselves. End quote. The Conservatives would collapse, losing 28 seats and fell to the role of the official opposition for only the fourth time since Confederation. The 23 seats won by the party was its worst showing in the 19th century and its steepest drop in seats in its history. The Victoria Daily Times wrote, quote, The Conservatives are stupefied. They counted on Flynn being sustained and did not dream of defeat. End quote. The Kingston Wake Standard would add to the stating, quote, the result of yesterday's election was a simple waterloo for the Flynn administration. So complete was the disaster that not only is the government beaten, but it is reduced to an almost insignificant opposition. End quote. Overall, the voting was stated to be quite light in various parts of the province. In Montreal, for example, only 60% of the eligible voters came out to vote in the election. After the election, the Conservative Party would never again lead the province. Flynn would be the last Conservative Premier the province ever had and the Liberals were embarking on a 39-year domination of provincial politics. 1900 The new century had dawned. Canada was going through a federal election, and Quebec was about to go through one of its own. The previous few years, the government of Marchand had attempted to create a ministry of education. At the time, all the education in the province was handled by the Roman Catholic Church, which made Quebec unique in Canada. And while Marchand attempted to create the ministry, the church was still very powerful in the province. His legislation would make it pass the Legislative Assembly, but was defeated in the Legislative Council. Quebec would have to wait 66 years until the Quiet Revolution before there was a Ministry of Education. But Marchand did get the provincial finances under control and was able to record some surpluses thanks to a booming economy. Unfortunately, the strain of the failure of the educational ministry would take its toll on Marchand. His health began to take a turn for the worse, and he would work at a slower pace while trying to get his ministry set up after the first failure. On May 9, 1900, he would present a bill to abolish the Legislative Council, and would make a speech stating that those on the council represented private interests only, and not the public. Feeling too sick to finish his speech, he withdrew from the Assembly. By May, he had stopped working altogether, and in September, he was confined to his bed. On September 25, 1900, he died in the home of his son-in-law. The newspaper wrote, quote, Integrity is in mourning. Our ancient honor wears the crepe of sorrow. End quote. The leadership of the party now suddenly fell on Simon Napoleon Perron. He had been part of the legislature for the previous decade and surprised many when he was chosen to become the premier following the death of Marchand. The choice had been made by Prime Minister Wilfrid Laurier because of the administration and loyalty to his friend. Then, only a month after he became Premier, he was leading the Liberals into the next election, just as the federal election finished. The Conservatives were still led by Edmund James Flynn, who was trying to pick up the pieces of the party after its staggering loss in the 1897 election. An able leader of the opposition, he was handicapped by the popularity of the Liberals and the booming economy that ensured the public was happy with the government. In the election campaign, Flynn would run a campaign that was described as half-hearted and unsuccessful in its attempt to denounce the federal interference in provincial politics, with Laurier choosing the new premier. He also had issues with the election coming so soon after the federal election. The Montreal Star wrote, quote, Mr. Flynn protests against the elections coming so soon as unjust to the electors who have just had to foot the bill. Mr. Flynn also finds fault with the time of year chosen. The government's objective, he claims, in bringing on the election so rapidly is to stifle discussion. End quote. 
Flynn would also issue a protest against the dissolution of the legislature and the shortness of notice between the dissolution and polling day, which was only three weeks. Flynn would attempt to drum up as much support as he could touring through the province. The Montreal Star reported on November 16th, quote, Honorable E.J. Flynn arrived in Montreal last evening in the best of health and ready for the coming campaign. He drove at once to St. Lawrence Hall, where a large number of gentlemen met him. An informal meeting was held at which reports from various constituencies were made. There seemed to be a belief that good organization and honest work would result in a victory for the party under Flynn. End quote. While that may have seemed positive, other conservatives seemed to know that the writing was on the wall before the election date even arrived. The Montreal Star would write that one conservative stated, quote, We are not surprised that the general sentiment among conservatives inclines strongly in favor of abstaining from opposition. End quote. In the December 7, 1900 election, a rare winter election, the Liberals increased their seat total by 16 to finish with an incredible 67, the most ever won by a party in Quebec to that point, and the most that would ever be won until 1916. The Conservatives would lose 16 seats, falling to 7, the lowest point for the party to that point, and the lowest amount of seats won by a party to that point in Quebec. It would not be until 1916 that a party would sit with less than 6 seats in the legislature. The Calgary Herald wrote, quote, The Quebec general election, which was held yesterday, resulted in another liberal sweep, and as a result, the conservative force in the next legislature will be reduced to a corporal's guard. End quote. Flynn had made the decision to run in a writing that the conservatives had won in every single election since 1867, with the exception of 1890. The unpopularity of his party was apparent when he won the writing by only 41 votes. Perron had an easier time in his riding, having been returned by acclamation. Perron was not the only man. An astounding 37 liberals were re-elected by acclamation. Even with the seats won by the acclamation, they would have soundly defeated the conservatives. Only two ridings in all of Montreal actually had a contest between two individuals, and every member of the premier's cabinet were also elected by acclamation. Overall, the election was a quiet affair and very few people actually voted. The Montreal Herald wrote, quote, very little interest was taken in the election, and a very light vote was polled. End quote. This was shown in the fact that while the Liberals won the largest majority in the province's history to that point, they actually lost 0.5% of the popular vote compared to the previous election. 1904 When it comes to the leaders of the two main parties in Quebec, nothing changed as the 1904 provincial election approached. In fact, as we will find out, very little would change for this election. I would say this might be the election with the least happening that I have ever seen. Simon Napoleon Perrault still led the province in the Liberal Party, thanks to his massive majority from the previous election. Perrault had chosen to continue the policies of Marchand of administrative honesty and circumspection, as he said choosing to run the province as a business. The first two years after the election were prosperous ones for the province, and good ones for Perrault. By 1902, though, there were serious issues that he had to confront, one of which was the business community of Quebec putting pressure on the government to pressure the federal government with the Trans-Canada Railway Project, which would link places like Quebec City with James Bay. When the government of Wilfrid Laurier stalled on building the railroad, and then decided that it would go through northern Quebec and Ontario towards Winnipeg, missing Quebec City, Perrault was criticized for not pressuring the federal government more. As the election campaign started, the Conservatives believed that they had little chance of winning, and stated that the sudden election call, which came one day after Wilfrid Laurier won his federal election, was an anti-democratic move to eliminate any sort of campaign since the election itself was only a few weeks later. 
A general election deranges business, and if Mr. Perron had any idea of appealing to the people this autumn, he should have done so contemporaneously with the Dominion election. It is true he tried the same trick four years ago and it succeeded, and there is such a thing as trying a trick once too often. End quote. Flynn would sign a manifesto denouncing the actions of Perron. Flynn also ordered his followers to challenge the legitimacy of the election by abstaining from it. Flynn would also choose to not run in the election. The Regina Leader Post published, quote, Mr. Flynn, leader of the Conservative opposition, takes exception to the action of Premier Perron in advising a disillusion of the present time. On behalf of the Conservative Party in Quebec, he has announced they will place no candidates in the field as a means of protest and will allow every Liberal to be returned by acclamation, end quote. Of course, not everyone would listen to Flynn, with some still choosing to run in the election. Many considered Flynn and the Conservatives to be engaged in childish behaviour. The Victoria Daily Times would report that a number of candidates wanted to still run in the election, feeling that traditions must be preserved, and the party connection maintained with the electorate. The Winnipeg Tribune would report, quote, Mr. Flynn's manifesto, advising absolute political inaction, is not likely to inspire hope or confidence in his following. How does he hope to mend matters if all his supporters follow his example? Is he simply waiting for his opponents, gorged with the fat things of office, begin quarreling over the spoils? End quote. As can be expected, there was little interest shown in the election, both in Quebec and elsewhere in Canada. Only two ridings had any sort of contest, and both of those were between Liberal candidates. In the November 25, 1904 election, nothing changed. Literally nothing. The Liberal Party gained no seats and lost none, finishing with 67 once again, but they would gain 2.2% more of the popular vote. The Conservatives also gained no seats, but lost none, finishing with 7 once again. This time, though, due to Flynn's statement to abstain from the vote, they lost 15% of the popular vote. And while Perrault had won another victory, he would face a massive revolt in his own caucus, and within a few months, he was out as Premier of Quebec. Flynn, having not run in the election, had no seat in the legislature and would soon resign as leader of the Conservative Party. 1908 After an election that was pretty low-key and, shall we say, boring, four years would pass before it was time for another election in Quebec. This time, the previous leaders were gone, and both parties were hoping for some major changes from the last election. The Liberals hoped to increase their majority, while the Conservatives hoped to once again form government. Lomé Gouin led the Liberals after Simon Napoleon Perron was ousted by his own party in 1905. Soon after winning the 1904 election, internal rivalries within the party started to increase, and Perron stated he would be willing to resign, but would not so soon after the election out of the worry that it would demean him. Philippe-Auguste Chacois and Joseph Armandin Lagri accused him of using his own influence to benefit his business interests. Perron, in response, sued them, and they were unable to prove the allegations. Then, on February 3, 1905, three ministers, including Gouault, resigned from the cabinet. Perron refused to resign and instead shuffled his cabinet. Then, on February 8, 44 MQPs demanded his resignation. At this point, he knew he was beat, but he would not resign until March 21st. Soon after, Gouin became premier, and Perron was appointed the chairman of the Transcontinental Railway Commission by his friend, Prime Minister Wilfred Laurier. Within the Liberal Party, Gouin was praised as the successor to Mercier, and Gouin would continue to pressure the government to give his province more autonomy. In 1907, he would ask the federal government to allow him to expand the northern border of Quebec. 
This would not happen until 1912. Gouin also worked to attract English Canadians to Quebec and American capital to ensure that the economic growth of the province continued. He would also be strict in his control of the resources of Quebec. In 1910, he banned the export of pulp wood cut on crown lands in the province. He then opened a number of pulp mills in the province so the wood would be harvested in Quebec and then shipped to the United States. Ouan was also in favor of prohibition. In 1908, he would reduce the number of places that would serve alcohol in Montreal and Quebec City while also increasing fees for licenses. On the conservative side, the party was now led by Pierre Evariste Leblanc. First elected in the legislature in 1882, it was hoped he would lead the party to its former glory after several disappointing elections. After the travesty that was the 1904 election, Edmund James Flynn resigned since he never even ran in the election. This necessitated a new leader and Leblanc had served as chief lieutenant for Flynn for years and was seen as the perfect person to replace him. There would be some accusations of shady actions in the election. An F.D. monk would call attention to the fact that $8,000 worth of whiskey had entered Thetford Mines to be distributed to the electors in the area without having to pay duty. Due to accusations of corrupt practices, both Guan and LeBlanc would express their readiness to give a pledge to conduct a pure election, and they would encourage their followers to do the same. Under the Quebec Election Act, which had been amended, no person could keep a factory, workshop, or shop open between 1 p.m. and 6 p.m. on the afternoon of the provincial election. Doing so meant a fine of $100. Overall, this legislation was very unpopular in the business community. The Montreal Gazette wrote, quote, There are scores of large factories which simply cannot afford to shut down for half a day whenever a member of the legislature is to be chosen by the constituency in which they are established, end quote. The Conservative Party would be very active in the election, holding meetings across the province in order to drum up support. The Ottawa Citizen reported, quote, The Conservative Party are very busy now, and there's scarcely a night that meetings are not on the table. End quote. The first big rally of the election was held by the Conservatives at Monument National in Montreal, where 40 of their candidates would be on hand to drum up support on May 18th. Despite this support, most felt that the election was a mere formality and that the Liberals would cruise to another victory. The Montreal Witness wrote, quote, On broad lines, it appears to us that Mr. Gouin has deserved well of the electors and should be given the confidence. Mr. Gouin has deserved well of the province in many ways, especially in the educational reform to which he has attached so much importance and which he promises even more materially to assist, end quote. In the June 8, 1908 election, the Liberals would lose 10 seats, but still finished with a large majority of 57 seats in total. And despite the loss of seats, the party still had more seats than at any point in the 19th century. The party also picked up four more seats by acclamation. Gouin would run in two ridings, as was allowed, but he would lose in his home riding of Montreal No. 2, which he had represented since 1897. This forced him to represent the riding of Port Neuf. The Winnipeg Free Press wrote, quote, the net result is that the Gouan government will go back, but will have to face a more larger and stronger opposition, while the Premier will have to return with the worst kind of black eye in that he is defeated in his home riding. End quote. The man who defeated him in that riding, Henri Bourassa, would claim many corrupt practices in the election, including Gouan's faction delaying the list of polling places until just before the election, which prevented Bourassa's workers from notifying the followers where to vote. The Conservatives re regained seven seats to reach 14 seats, a modest showing for the party. 
It was the first time the party had double-digit numbers in seats since 1897. Le Canada would report, quote, The Conservative Party remains as badly beaten as in 1904. The Liberals, in spite of the defection of a part of their forces, have gained a brilliant victory. The province of Quebec has anew asserted its confidence in the Liberal Party, which has given it ten years of honest administration, end quote. Despite representing a riding of Laval since 1882, and despite the fact that the people in his riding threw him a large party in 1907, LeBlanc would lose his seat in the election. The result of the election was declared invalid on November 19th, and in a subsequent by-election on November 28th, he once again lost. At this point, LeBlanc would leave politics and go back to law. He would do okay for himself, though. He would become the lieutenant governor of Quebec in 1915, serving until his death in 1918. An interesting fact about this election is that both party leaders would go on to serve as Lieutenant Governor of Quebec. Luong would serve from January 10, 1929 to his death on March 28, 1929. 1912 It would be a full four years before Quebec residents headed to the polls once again. During that time, Quebec went through some changes when the amount of ridings were increased from 74 to 81, representing the largest jump in ridings in the province's history to that point. Lomea Gouin was still leading the Liberal Party in the province at that point, having won his first election in 1908. Over the previous term, he was receiving increased pressure to enact prohibition within the province. And like other provinces, the temperance movement was growing in strength. But unlike other provinces, the political power wielded would be less in Quebec. Gouin had changed the provincial voting system prior to the election as well, giving the vote to almost all men aged 21 and over, while eliminating the plural voting that allowed electors to cast a ballot in every riding that they owned property in. And while he expanded the vote, he was highly opposed to giving women the vote. In fact, it would not be until 1940 that Quebec would finally give women the vote in provincial elections. The automobile was also increasing in popularity, and Gouin would form the Department of Highways and begin to put more money into the development of highways within the province. He would also continue his expansion of education in the province, establishing several normal schools to train teachers, and he had teacher salaries raised, and he provided more funding to elementary schools. He would also introduce bills to create technical schools in the province as he wanted more participation among French Canadians in the economic development of the province. Since Pierre Leblanc had lost his seat in the previous election, he was no longer the leader of the Conservative Party in Quebec. That new man at the helm was Joseph Mathias Tellier, who had been first elected in 1892 to the Legislative Assembly. In 1909, he took over as leader, hoping to guide it to at least more success in the upcoming election. When the election call came in the middle of April 1912, no one was surprised by it as most felt it was time. The Sioux Star wrote, quote, The announcement that the local elections for the province of Quebec would be held almost immediately did not come as a surprise to anyone. It was an open secret that an appeal to the people would be made with the least possible delay. End quote. And while Wilfrid Laurier was no longer Prime Minister, having lost the 1911 election, he would come to Quebec to assist the Liberals in their campaign. At one stop in Hall, he was greeted warmly by the crowd. The Ottawa citizen wrote, quote, Sir Wilfrid Laurier was received with prolonged cheering. He explained that he had come to the meeting quite by accident. He'd been away in the States and somewhat out of touch with the situation. His wife, who was a good soldier to the cause, had called his attention to Gaumont's meeting and had said, you must go. He had obeyed, end quote. Elier appeared to be doing well in the election. At one point, he spoke in front of 2,000 people, including the mayor of Montreal, three federal cabinet ministers, several MPs, 
and many members of his own party. He would say in his speech, quote, Luan should remember that the season of bad roads was also the season of floods, and that it is quite possible that his government will be carried out of the power on the wave of the popular opinion, and that is the fate which is awaiting the Guan government if it gets its deserts at the hands of the people. Guan did not appear to get large crowds, though. During one stop in Montreal, poor weather meant only a couple hundred people came out to see him speak. In terms of optics, this was not a great look. Most of his campaign was focused on the accomplishments of the party over the previous four years, while also contradicting the claims of Tellier against him. He would say at one point, quote, Look over your city and show me where there is any right or privilege lacking that others have, and I will see you get it. End quote. For most, it was felt that the Liberals' winning was a foregone conclusion. As a result, the Montreal Star, which was firmly in support of the Conservatives, tried to sway the vote by putting doubt in the minds of the voters about the majority governments. It stated, quote, The most fatal gift which a province can send a strong premier is an overwhelming majority. Every prime minister of experience knows this to be true. When there is no opposition to the legislature to be seriously considered, then the premier, who would like to be honest, has no defense against the grafter and the franchise seeker who bring him their unheeded and unwelcome support, end quote. Two days before the election, it would be claimed by some that Tellier was heading towards majority government in the legislature. The Montreal Gazette would cite two men who were close to the Conservative Party who stated that, in daily communications, they were claiming that Tellier would win at least 43 seats. Henri Bourassat would say that Tellier would carry several ridings and would come to the legislature without, quote, a stain and will make a safe and progressive prime minister, end quote. The Vancouver province would be the most accurate in the election when it stated, quote, Leaders on both sides give out optimistic statements, the Conservatives predicting a landslide while the Liberals assert their record will be approved by the people. Gouin, who said last week he would concede only 23 seats out of 82 to the opposition, was quoted yesterday as saying that he believed it would not possibly capture more than 15. End quote. By the time the election day rolled around, there were several libel cases due to mudslinging between the candidates, and most of the lawsuits involved suing for between $900 and $1,000. The Calgary Albertans stated, quote, All the actions are based on statements made during the previous electoral battle. End quote. In various writings, parties were shepherding voters to the polls to get out of the vote, which was expected to be low. In Quebec City, there was less enthusiasm, but balloting was proceeding quickly for those who did vote. In the May 15, 1912 election, the Liberals once again continued their dominance. Thanks to the previous number of seats, Gouin and the Liberals finished with 62 seats, five more than they had in the previous election. The Conservatives also benefited from having more ridings in the province, and they would pick up two seats to finish with 16. And while they didn't pick up that many more seats, the party did earn 3% more of the popular vote. And the 16 seats were also the most the party had had since 1897, when they had 23 seats. After the election, Tellier would serve as the leader of the opposition until 1915, when he was replaced by Philemon Cousinot. In 1916, he became a Quebec Superior Court judge, and from 1932 to 1942, he was the Chief Justice of Quebec. 1916 After another four years, Quebec residents were back at the polls as the Liberals and Conservatives both vied for their votes. Bouin continued to lead the Liberals, still refusing to give the women the vote, despite the growing trend in the West to grant the vote to women. One of his major tasks throughout the four years from 1912 to 1916 was dealing with the Quebec school system. He promised the Archbishop of Montreal that he would not secularize the education system, 
and he would block adoption of several bills that were meant to create a Department of Education, standardize textbooks, introduce compulsory education, and require all teachers to hold a certificate of competence. By the time the election had come around, Canada was two years deep into the First World War, and while there was a great deal of recruitment in English Canada, recruitment remained slow in French Canada. The next year, that would lead to the conscription crisis, as the government of Sir Robert Borden implemented conscription, something heavily opposed in Quebec, which would hurt it in the federal elections for decades to come. Gouin and his party supported Canada's participation in the war, and he would attend a rally on October 15, 1914, in Montreal, where he spoke about the duty of French Canadians to help both England and France. Throughout 1915 and into 1916, he would also appeal to Quebecers to enlist in the Canadian Expeditionary Force, and he would also work with the federal government to encourage the war effort. That being said, he would be strongly opposed to conscription when it came about after the election. In 1913, Gouin had met the Pope, where he raised the concern he had for the struggle of French Canadians in Ontario, who were fighting against a resolution to limit the instruction of French in Ontario schools, I talked about that in my series on every election in Ontario's history, so check it out. The Conservatives were no longer led by Joseph Mathias Tellier anymore. He had stepped down as leader in 1915 and would be replaced by Philemon Cousinot. Formerly the Major of Saint Laurent from 1905 to 1909, he was relatively unknown and his work was cut out for him to go against the juggernaut that was the Liberal Party. He had been in the legislature since 1908, a relatively short time compared to others within the Conservative Party. The Conservative Party would often use the word Kaiser to describe Gouin in an attempt to equate him with the German leader during the First World War. Arthur Sauvé, the Conservative deputy leader, stated, quote, Nothing would have been done for agriculture had it not been for the federal government represented by the Gouin government with hundreds of thousands of dollars for this work. The next Premier of Quebec will be Mr. Cousinot, end quote. The growing rift between Anglophones and Francophones in Canada over the war was also something Cousinot brought up in his speeches, calling for the two sides to work together rather than break apart. He would say during one speech on May 19th, quote, The present situation is that we are fighting the Gouin government. Our adversaries want to turn the question. They say that Cousinot is a traitor, that he betrays the French Canadians in Ontario, that he betrays his race. These are only the little men of the Liberal Party, end quote. Attacking the Liberals, with little in the way of their own platform or promises, was the main focus of the Conservative campaign. Cousinot would say at another rally in front of a thousand people on May 17th, quote, Our unscrupulous adversaries are trying to exploit the most sacred beliefs of the people of the province. They make appeals to the patriotism of the people of the province. Real patriotism would be to take note of the true economic position of the province, end quote. In another rally in Montreal on April 28th, he would say, quote, I have no hesitation in saying that the government is rotten. End quote. Cousinot would also criticize Sir Wilfrid Laurier for being involved in the provincial election and making appearances for the Liberals in Quebec. Cousinot would state that it was a provincial election and not a federal election. The Liberals, in contrast to the Conservatives, would tout their previous record, stating that Gouin had kept his promises since coming to power in 1905. Walter Mitchell, a member of Parliament, would say according to the Montreal Gazette, quote, Gouin has given good, sound, honest business administration to the province for 11 years, and if there was a change of government, there would have to be a substantial reason for those advanced by Mr. Cousinot. Like with previous elections, it was mostly a foregone conclusion that the Liberals would be returned to power. In the 1916 election, for example, 
23 liberals were acclaimed before the election even happened. In the May 22, 1916 election, Gouvon and the liberals once again won another election, picking up 13 seats and finishing with a then-record 75 seats. By this point, the liberals had won six elections in a row, twice as many as the conservatives had won in a row during their most dominant period. The 75 seats won by the party was also the most any party would win until 1931. The Montreal Star wrote, quote, The province of Quebec has renewed its expression of confidence in the Gouin government in a most striking and flattering fashion. So complete a mandate to a government cannot be more secured in this or in any other province without a pretty general obliteration of party lines, end quote. Gouin would say this victory, quote, I must say that I am very much satisfied with the results. I cannot say that I am surprised by the number of Liberal members elected because I have learned to know the province, and I felt sure that our administration was approved by the people, end quote. The Conservatives suffered a terrible collapse after making gains in the previous two elections. They would win only six seats, the lowest the party had won to that point. The Star would continue in its article, quote, it is unfortunate that the opposition has been left so weak. An opposition is as much an essential part of our system of government as a majority behind the ministry. It does no government any good to be faced by feeble criticisms. End quote. As for Cousinot, he lost not only the election, but in his own writing, ended his career in the legislature. He said on election night that he would seek election in another riding, but it was done at the party leader. As it turned out, he decided to leave politics completely, he would be okay, though, as in 1920, he became a Quebec Superior Court judge. 1919 Gouin continued his dominance in Quebec politics, continuing to serve as Premier of the province that he had led since 1905. He had spent the previous years dealing with the growing rift between Quebec and Canada over the conscription crisis. And after Wilfrid Laurier had rejected a coalition of the Conservatives in the House of Commons over conscription, Gouin chose to do the same when he was approached with a similar offer. Gouin was fiercely against conscription, and due to the age of Laurier, who would die only two years later, Gouin led the federal campaign for the Liberals in Quebec in the 1917 federal election. Gouin would also allow one of his MQPs to present a notice of motion stating that the province of Quebec would be prepared to accept the breaking up of the Confederation Pact if other provinces considered Quebec's rejection of conscription an obstacle to the development of Canada. When the war ended in 1918, Gouin was at his peak of his power and was highly popular in Quebec. He was even seen as a successor to Laurier, who was in failing health. And due to his popularity, Prime Minister Robert Borden asked Gouin to join his union government, which he refused. In February 1919, Laurier died and would be succeeded by William Lyon Mackenzie King. Maclean's would write of Gouin around this time, stating, quote, for ten years, he had been uninterruptedly Premier of Quebec with a moral guarantee that he could occupy the Premiership by an overwhelming majority until he should be gathered to his father. Gouin would oppose the federal government's plan to nationalize railways at this time, and he would push for lower tariffs to help the Montreal business community, as well as his powerful friends in the province. The next election did not have to be called until 1921 in Quebec, but Gouin, seeing his popularity was at an all-time high, chose to call the election two years early in order to begin his plan for the development of hydroelectric power in the province and the pushing for further colonization in rural areas of the province. Maclean's would write, quote, There does not seem to have been any pressing reason for holding the elections just then. The government certainly had not exceeded its mandate. Perhaps Gouin, like Antaeus, just wanted to touch his feet to the earth again to renew his strength. 
The formal reasons given were that the government had had a war mandate. Now it wanted a peace mandate. End quote. In opening his election campaign, Guwan would conjure up the memory of Laurier in a hall in Quebec City, stating, quote, We cannot forget that for over 30 years you elected without a break a man whose teachings and remembrance we keep in the depths of our heart. That man, as you are aware, brilliantly embodied for nearly a century the great idea that brings us together here at this moment. End quote. Going against Guwan was Arthur Sauvé, who had taken over as leader of the Conservative Party in Quebec in 1916 from Philemon Cousineau. Sauvé had been elected to the legislature in 1908 and was popular within the party. He proved to be the natural person to take over. The Conservatives were going into the election with their backs to the wall due to the decision by the Federal Conservatives to support conscription. And whether Sauvé and the Conservatives supported conscription or not, it didn't matter, as their brand was tarnished in Quebec. In the election, 43 Liberals were elected by acclamation as they had no Conservative opponent. Only one Conservative candidate was acclaimed, and that was Sauvé. The Conservatives mostly campaigned on the principle that the Liberals were exploiting the residents of Quebec, especially with calling the election early. Sauvé would call Gouin an emperor who treated the province like his empire. The issue of the early election would be a contentious one in Quebec in some circles. The Montreal Gazette would write, quote, the potent objection to a general election is not that it disturbs the currents of business. Provincial elections, when no vital issue is at stake, are rather diverting, but that it involves a considerable expenditure of public money that could be avoided. Sauvé would say, quote, At the last session of the legislature, the legislation of the most important kind was enacted, was that which came from Ottawa, such as the Workmen's Housing Bill and Land for Returned Workers. The government could not have chosen a worse time for elections. End quote. On June 23, 1919, the Liberals lost one seat to finish with 74, and once again took a massive majority in the legislature. The Montreal Star stated, quote, The result, of course, was foregone. The only area for political figuring was between the minimum of 6 and the maximum of 15, which the opposition might secure. End quote. The Conservatives also lost a seat, finishing with only 5, but they were still the official opposition. In fact, other than when the Union Nationale lost all of its seats in 1973 and 1981, it was the lowest amount of seats ever won by a major party in the history of Quebec elections. The Montreal Star wrote, quote, This opposition weakness naturally throws a heavy responsibility upon the ministry, and particularly upon the man who has dominated and is personally responsible for its record. End quote. Parti Ouvrier of the Labour Party did reasonably well, electing two candidates from a slate of six that went up for the election. And despite the loss, Sauvé would stay on as leader of the party, likely due to a lack of options. He would lead the party through to 1930, and while he did not have much luck against the liberal juggernaut of the time, he would be elected to Parliament, serving from 1930 to 1935, and was made a senator in 1935, serving until his death in 1944. His son would also do what he never could, become Premier, serving from 1959 to 1960. That's a story for another episode. The most shocking part of this election was the decision by Gouin to leave power. He wanted his last election to leave his successor a large mandate, and he had accomplished that. He would serve for one session in the spring of 1920, and then on June 21, 1920, gave a farewell speech. On July 8, 1920, he resigned as Premier. In 1921, he was elected to Parliament, and he would serve as the Justice Minister until 1924. He would then be named the Lieutenant Governor of Quebec in 1929, serving for two months until his death on March 28, 1929. 
He currently ranks third among all premiers that come back for time in office, but unlike the men who served longer, he left the party stronger than when he came in. 1923. With Guan no longer the leader of the Liberal Party in Quebec, the role of premier fell to a new man, Louis-Alexandre Tachereau. Tachereau had first been elected to the legislature way back in 1900 and was one of the longest-serving members of the legislature. He was also natural to take over from Guan, especially considering he had been the Minister of Public Works from 1907 to 1919. As premier, he began to challenge the traditional agrarian society dominance that was prevalent in Quebec at the time, as well as the Roman Catholic Church that held so much sway. He attempted to reform education and the social service, but this was often met with hostility from the church. He was also an advocate for the exploitation of the hydraulic potential of the waterways in Quebec, and saw as an opportunity to bring in American investment to develop Quebec's potential when it came to industry and stop people moving to the United States. Arthur Sauvey still led the Conservatives and hoped to rebound from the terrible showing for the party in the last election when his party only picked up five seats, the worst in history to that point. McLean's would write before the election, quote, There is considerable opposition among the habitants, but the opposition is weak and none too strongly led. Its number is only five in the chamber of 85, and leader Sauvey is far from being Napoleon, end quote. The calling of the election caught the Conservatives off guard, which was likely the point for the Liberals, Sauvé would say, quote, I have little to say for the moment on the dissolution, which really means taking us by the throat. I did not think the Lieutenant Governor would consent to the dissolution, end quote. Sauvé criticized holding an election in the winter, but Tachereau would state that winter elections had happened before, adding that Mr. Sauvé had not caught the death of cold, he would state, quote, it is said that winter conditions are bad, and that may be true for candidates, but not for electors, end quote. The Liberals would campaign on what they had done for agriculture and their efforts to modernize Quebec. Tasha Rowe would state in a speech that kicked off his election campaign on January 19th, quote, We need no better proof of the success of our agricultural policy than the utter failure of the Promers movement in this province. While the same movement is carrying everything before it in the West and also in Ontario, it collapsed most miserably before the sound common sense of our farmers. End quote. At the time, the economy was doing well in the post war boom, and the Liberals were still relatively popular. The conscription crisis, despite now being six years in the past, was still forefront in many minds, and it would continue to hurt the Conservatives and Francophone heavy writings for years to come, even though it was the federal level Conservatives who instituted conscription during the First World War. That being said, there was discontent in the province, and it was the hope of Sauvey and the Conservatives that they could bring in those who were unhappy with the Liberals and boost the party's numbers in the election. During an event at the Monument National on February 2nd, police had to throw 60 people out of a meeting as they were heckling Tachereau amongst a crowd of 2,000 who came to hear him speak. The Montreal Star wrote of that scene, quote, Suddenly, the door was pulled to by superhuman effort on the part of the police. A moment later, an unconscious man was dragged out of the crowd and revived. Two or three women, their hats and clothing awry, gave up the endeavor and went home. A fat policeman came out of the middle of the crowd, puffing and lamenting the disappearance of many buttons from his great coat. Sauvey would campaign on attacking the government, stating that it had spent too much time in power. He would also promise that if elected, he would cut the red tape in the legislature and cut costs at the Department of Justice so that it was simplified for those who were dealing with poverty. 
In the February 5th, 1923 election, Tasha Rowe and the Liberals lost 10 seats, but still finished with a large majority of 64 to take the election. The party also lost half a percentage point of the popular vote compared to the previous election. The real story was the surge ahead by the Conservatives, who picked up 15 seats to finish with 20. Still, the official opposition, the party had also earned 22% more of the popular vote than in the last election. In Montreal, the Conservatives took 13 of 15 seats, and the 20 seats won by the party was the most the party had had since it had 23 in 1897. Unfortunately, this would be the high point for the Conservative Party in the 20th century, and it was all downhill from here. McLean's reported, quote, To be sure, the Tashiro government was returned by a good majority, and from the outside, everything looks lovely. Under the surface, it is different, quite different. But the Sophie opposition particularly swept the Liberals off Montreal Island, end quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at those elections. Next week, we're going to look at the elections of 1927 to 1952. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. And I also want to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Martin Strache, Sarah White, Tom McMillan, Mike Sullivan, Wendy Mills, Keelan Pringnitz, Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobbs, Robert Page, Richard T., Colin Johnson, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nixon Ree, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Ottawa Daily Citizen, Wikipedia, Montreal Gazette, Montreal Star, Biography, Kingston Week Standard, Halifax Herald, Clinton New Era, Montreal Herald, Victoria Daily Times, Ottawa Journal, Manitoba Free Press, Winnipeg Tribune, Manitoba Semi-Weekly Free Press, Calgary Herald, Sioux Star, Vancouver Sun, and the Calgary Albertan. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.